The parable of the wicked tenants is one of the Lord's final parables before his passion, death, and resurrection. In context, the Lord is speaking this parable in Jerusalem and in the face of mounting tension and opposition as factions seek to find ways to get rid of him. Now, since we have heard a few parables lately, I think it's helpful to first recall this context and to recall to whom the Lord is speaking. This parable takes place after the Lord cleanses the temple and after he curses the fig tree that did not have fruit. So we can observe that there are some dramatic things going on surrounding this parable. After those episodes, the Lord returns to the temple and the chief priests and the elders of the people, the religious authorities are there and they want to know by what authority is he doing these things. So we learn in context that the parable we hear today is directed to the religious leaders of the Jewish people, to them, and not to a generic group or to the crowds. The Lord speaks this parable of the wicked tenants and the vineyard. This parable sets up a confrontation with authority. The Lord is speaking to the Jewish priests and religious leaders. He's speaking to them in the holy city, Jerusalem itself, and he's speaking to them in its very center, in the sacred temple. And that's like putting several exclamation points on the notion of confrontation with authority. Speaking to the chief priests and religious leaders in the holy city itself and in its very center at the temple. And we learn something of the background here by being aware of the prophecy of Isaiah in which he uses the same image of a vineyard eight centuries earlier. In fact, the Lord is making a direct reference to the prophecy of Isaiah in his use of this parable. We heard that earlier prophecy of Isaiah in today's first reading. In it, we find that God is the owner and lover of a vineyard for which he does everything so that it can produce good fruit. In Isaiah, we learn that the vineyard is the people of Israel and also Jerusalem, the inhabitants of the holy city. Isaiah is here prophesying about the failure of the people of Israel to produce the good fruit of covenant relationship with God. In producing wild grapes instead of good, that is the bitter grapes of sin and lack of fidelity, Isaiah prophesies about the destruction of Jerusalem, this privileged place of encounter with God, by using the image of the destruction of the vineyard. In referencing this parable, you see the Lord is not merely using it as a familiar image of agriculture. He, like Isaiah, is offering a stinging indictment of the failure of the holy city, its inhabitants, the people of Israel, to produce the good grapes of holiness, the fruits of righteousness. And the Lord is taking it right to the top by this confrontation with the religious leaders of the nation of Israel, the vineyard, from which God demands a good harvest for a worthy vintage. With the Old Testament background in mind, we can identify that this parable speaks of God as the vineyard owner. He demands a yield of good fruit from his vineyard, that is, from his people Israel. He goes to great length to prepare his vineyard and to protect it, such that there should be no reason for it not to produce good fruit. 
He sends his servants to announce the time of harvest. And these can serve as an image of the prophets who come to announce the day of the Lord. In all of this, we learn that Jesus is accusing the Jewish religious authorities of being the wicked tenants who do their own thing with the vineyard, who yield bitter grapes, and who reject and kill the prophets and even the son himself. And that's the twist of this parable, that God would send his own son to arrogant, wicked tenants who are not serving his purposes for the precious vineyard, but who are doing their own thing with a vineyard that is not their own. In this, we have another lesson of the reckless, the prodigal generosity of God, who goes to great lengths and does everything necessary such that his people will produce the fruit he requires and demands. He sends his own son knowing that he will likewise be rejected and killed, but he will become the chief cornerstone of the kingdom. And the chief priests and the elders, they know that Jesus is speaking this parable about them. If you read the whole passage, you find just two verses after today's passage, these lines. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. Born within the Jewish people, Jesus is thereby the faithful Israel. Where Israel could not be faithful, he is from within. He establishes a new kingdom, a new covenant. And this takes place in his church, called together from Israel and from all nations. Thus, taking all of this imagery together, we should note this progression. The vineyard is the house of Israel. The house of Israel is fulfilled in the church. Thus, the vineyard is the church. The church is the fulfillment of that precious vineyard that belongs to God the Father from which he demands the good fruit of holiness and to which he sends his own beloved son who dies for our salvation such that nothing should prevent us from producing that required fruit. Nothing, that is, but our own arrogance and refusal in freedom to belong to the vineyard and to do what God demands. We live in a time of immense arrogance. Man places himself in the center of the universe, in the center of all things, and makes himself the reference point for whatever he wants to be true, even when that is a lie. Fallen and arrogant man decides that things around himself must change and conform to what makes him feel whole and complete. He foolishly says, it is not I who must change, but it is the order of the world and even Christ's teachings that must convert to me. Sadly, even people who should know better fall right in line with this way of thinking and acting. I can't help but think it's the prediction from the second letter to St. Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own likings and will turn away from listening to the truth 
and wander into myths. Today's parable of the Lord is a direct confrontation with the religious authorities of the vineyard that is the house of Israel. And it doesn't take much imagination to find a direct application to the religious authorities of the fulfillment of the vineyard that is the church. We live in a time of great confusion, arrogance, and cynicism. With so much instantaneous mass communication, you likely are painfully aware of the silly, confusing, and stupid things that even some of the church's religious leaders speak. I know many of you are aware of this and that you worry because I hear it from you a lot. You are bombarded with feeling like leaders who should be helping you save your souls and helping you raise your children in salvation are somehow maybe working against you. I can't but conclude that our time is not much different in needing the confrontation that our blessed Lord leveled against some of the top leaders of his time. We have some wicked tenants in the vineyard. I wish it was not so, but it seems to be. And you know what? The Lord has still laid down his life for us. And we are not going to abandon him, even if some leaders bent, seem bent on destroying the good grapes and planting seeds that are going nowhere but to destruction. And so we should take heart. The stone rejected by the builders is the cornerstone. And it is wonderful in our eyes, the scriptures say. What do we hear in the second reading? Have no anxiety at all. But in all things, with prayer and thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the God of peace will be with you. We hear this parable in the month dedicated to the Holy Rosary. My brothers and sisters, we can't be unaware, and we won't be naive about the wolves in sheep's clothing that cause us suffering in the vineyard. But that doesn't mean that giving excessive focus to the crop of wild grapes becomes virtuous or wise either. Spending too much of our time and energy in the echo chamber of gossip, watching YouTube videos and reading blogs, even those that rightfully expose the empty talk that confuses us in our time, this will not result in peace and a good harvest that God demands from us. Even when it is a matter of hearing good teachers refute the bad teachers of our times, I have to ask, how many times, I mean really, how many times do we need to hear the same good argument refuting the nonsense that disturbs us? Learn the argument once and move on with your life. Again, we shouldn't be unaware of the false teachers, and we shouldn't be unaware of the good arguments that refute them. However, how much time are we willing to give to unite ourselves in relationship to God? Only that will save us and lead us to be good grapes. For every time I'm ready to hit play, 
on the next hour and 37 minute YouTube video from that good priest. Or for every time I'm ready to type in the web address of that blog that speaks the authentic truth. Am I willing instead to pray? To go to adoration, to be with the Lord himself, to pick up the rosary. In this month of the rosary, I want to challenge you to a new dedication to that prayer, which is a real weapon and one needed for our times. Get here early to Mass and join in its public recitation. If you don't pray it at home, turn off the television and get doing that as a family today. Do it often, even daily. If you have even just 20 minutes in a car ride, I have tested this and proven it. <laughs> you have time to pray the rosary. You men and fathers, had best be the ones taking the lead and making this happen in your families to protect the vineyard of the domestic church. If there's resistance and complaining in the family, who cares? You lead. Be the priest of your home and speak with your wife about age-appropriate ways to pray as a family. Pray for the Pope and for our bishop. Pray for all the bishops, no matter whether you think they are the good ones or the bad ones. They need our prayers. They have a heavy burden and a heavy judgment. Only prayer and relationship with God will afford us peace in our times. And only that will save us when the vineyard owner finally comes and puts those wicked tenants to a wretched death. Our Lady is the premier model of faith and discipleship and of producing good fruit. And so we turn to her with renewed dedication. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ.